Welcome back to the Chasing Sunday podcast. We are yes. your hosts. My name is Brian Davis. And my name is Paul Romick-Levitt. Paul Romick-Levitt. Yep. Um, and uh, we have uh, an excellent episode for you uh, uh-huh. with yes. uh, with an old friend. Um, and it's weird to say that because he was actually, uh, he was one of our, our college professors yeah. Um, at CCU, and mm-hmm. so I, I don't think I've ever had a, a teacher or a professor that mm-hmm. that I would be able to go back and say like, oh yeah, he is now my friend. Yeah, um, and that that feels strange, but also really good. Um, so uh, yeah. he's always been just a huge encouragement to both of us uh, through various stages of our lives, and and uh, um. Uh, he just wrote a new a new book uh, that right. is out and available on Amazon and and available directly from him as well. Uh, and we'll give you all those links uh, later in uh, later in the the episode. Uh, we'll also post them in the in the description so that you can uh, find out all that you want to know about Mark Dorn and his wonderful book. And um, but let me tell you a little bit about Mark. Um, he uh, <clears throat> sorry. Let me just uh, choke on my own spit for a second. Uh, that's extra. That's extra. Yes. Uh, so this this is going to be part of the premium content. Yeah, we like um, we like the value adds. That's right. That's right. You want to hear Brian choke on his own spit? <laughs> you're gonna have to pay um, <laughs> if, if you're into that. You're, it's a fans only. Oh it's a fans boy. only page of oh. Brian. <laughs> There's digestive sounds. This There's... this might get edited out. Um, <laughs> let me tell you a little bit about Mark. Uh, he is a professor of music at uh, Colorado Christian University in Lakewood, Colorado. Uh, he's a private practice counselor uh, as well. His in his work at CCU, uh, he leads the symphonic band and the jazz ensemble. He teaches trumpet lessons. This guy is a monster on the trumpet. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. phenomenal, phenomenal trumpet player. Yeah. Um, he's actively involved in the mentoring of undergrad students uh, there at CCU. Um, he also is a freelance musician and a conductor and is most recently an author. Um, with a long-time investment in discipleship and counseling, his curiosity about how knowing God can lead to a personal transformation uh, has propelled him into counseling, writing, uh, and a lot of musing about the journey. So uh, he's married to Jill. Uh, he's got four grown children, one newborn uh, with uh, with his wife, which is yeah. baffling to me, um, <laughs> and then uh, 10 grandchildren. Um, and the uh, he and Jill live in Morrison, Colorado, uh, and he loves going on adventures in the mountains. So, um, so yeah, that, that's that's Mark in a nutshell. Um, yeah. But there's so much more to this wonderful, wonderful man. And uh, yeah, anything that that you would like to add, Paul? I, I don't want to say too much, and then, yeah. then of course I'll say oh, so much. Um, but <laughs> I I do want to get right into the conversation because yep. we go down into it, um, in into what in particular like grief Mm -hmm. um struggle suffering looks like in the journey how we contextualize that within our life of faith so that that i'm excited so i'm i'm excited to just kind of jump right in and uh so here we go with uh mark dorn welcome mark so glad to have you on the chasing sunday podcast um, we've been looking forward to this for a while and, um, and of course we've known both Brian and I have known you for years, Long time. um, 
but uh i i feel like though there's so much of it that uh you always had this um what is the word it's just kind of like the holiness of a professor you know you're very <laughs> set apart you know oh, you're very you're very out outside of um which is which was absolutely necessary and important when we were students but it's hard when you grow up did you have that experience too with your professors was it hard to break that that barrier to was like okay what now now i can actually call him by his first name now we're sort of like we can maybe even be peers kind of thing it was hard uh my trumpet teacher in college i could never call him charlie it was always mr gorham yeah uh, even until uh, until uh, he died just a few years ago so definitely that was the case um, and I, I think that's fine. There were my my college band director actually retired. Ray Kramer is his name. He retired from Indiana University and moved to Colorado Springs. And so he's uh-huh. become kind of a senior member of the band directing community that I'm a part of here in, in Colorado. And uh-huh. that's been an easier one because I've seen him kind of continuously yeah. in the profession. And I woke up one day and found myself to be one of the senior members in the uh, in the yeah. state as well. And he's senior yeah. to me. He's in his 80s. Uh-huh. But, uh, uh-huh. but but he's a little bit easier. I can call him Ray. <laughs> uh-huh. That is wonderful. I, I it's it's one of those things. I know it's it's not I don't want to, you know, talk about aging the whole time. But it's funny how it's I've I've been harping on that in in this time in my life and it just maybe waking up to it you know here i am i'll be 45 in december and um it's it's just something that just keeps coming up but it's it's also opened up a beautiful uh new chapter and and so a lot of cool stuff yeah aging is it's you know we're going to be talking about the journey the pilgrimage Mm -hmm. and aging is Mm -hmm. certainly a part of it Mm -hmm. Uh, well if you if you journey well aging has certain benefits that are yielded through mm-hmm. a life that's reasonably well lived, but it doesn't get easy. That's right. for sure. Well, uh, that that said, would you uh, tell us a little about your book? And, uh, and we've got some some questions uh, based on based on that. But uh, yeah, let us uh, give us a give us the Cliff's Notes version. Uh, yeah, and what what inspired writing it? Like, what how got you into it? Kind of an interesting thing for me. I'm like the the guy who uh, who couldn't decide what he wanted to be when he grew up, but I'm still kind of deciding here <laughs> at, at the age of 65. But uh, I've always enjoyed writing and I've had sort of a multi-prong career where I've been involved mm. in disciple making ministries. Mm. I've been involved in counseling. I got a degree in counseling here at Colorado Christian. I've been in music. I've been a performer, director, uh, kind of some mentoring roles, that sort of thing. So the book flowed through kind of all of that. Uh, mm-hmm. My interest in writing, my sort of curiosity about the human condition, how does one journey mm-hmm. in this life and how do you have a, a spiritual journey that's going somewhere that feels mm-hmm. like it's aligned with God in uh, in a way that's real and deep and um, kind of has roots that are deep enough to withstand some of the things that life throws at us. So mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to write a book years ago and... Uh, had a number of false starts. And then Hmm. through some of the events in my life that took place 20 years ago, I lost all margin for a while. I was doing Mm -hmm. well to get up in the morning, go to work, take care of my kids, be involved in my family, um, make enough money to pay the bills, all of that. And some anything extra, like trying to write a book, um, 
was mm-hmm. uh, was just not possible. So over the last maybe six or seven years, I started thinking about it more, mm-hmm. more seriously. Had a bunch of different ideas. Had a hard time getting started, and finally just decided if I don't if I don't get going on this, it's never going to get written. Mm-hmm. So about three years ago, uh, I got serious about writing it. So even though my profession has primarily been in music and being a college professor, um, the book is more about spiritual formation, spiritual journey. Um, mm-hmm. There's kind of a memoirs feel to it. Yeah. Uh, it's got some theological components. It's related to this little tiny counseling practice I've had for 25 plus years. So it kind of bring, brings together a lot of different things. But people who didn't know me outside of music might be surprised to know that I wrote a book on the Ooh. spiritual journey versus a book on being a band director or teaching yeah. class or something like right. that. So that's the, the part of me that can't make up his mind what he wants to do when he grows up. So Yeah. yeah. Oh, I find that enormously comforting that mm. you don't know what you want to be when you grow up. I mean, I feel like <laughs> I constantly wrestle with that, you know, and yeah. and I can re- I can relate to the starts and stops of, mm-hmm. of a creative process and 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 actually having someone who can who can normalize that and say, yeah. no, actually, that's that's my place too. So uh, that's that's incredible well, um, I'm, I'm just encouraged that i've got I, I my timeline just got extended i've got 20 years to get a lot of things done <laughs> so go. i've changed careers several times yeah i've got yeah. i've got 20 yeah. more years to put these things off so uh yeah. so yeah it'll be great yeah <laughs> so encouraging <laughs> you I, well, I don't necessarily write in the book a lot about the sort of vocational career Mm-hmm. journey it's in there in a few places mm-hmm. um and sort yeah. of the angst that i felt in my mid-30s mm-hmm. when i wanted to make a change and it seemed impossible but uh, it is a big part of the journey what we wound up wind up doing for work sure um and uh and that would that would have been a worth a worthy chapter actually yeah. Maybe, well know, second edition <laughs> yeah well no I, I i mean i found a lot of that in there in the, mm. in that book uh mark already i mean you you're talking a lot or you know i remember reading a lot about how you're navigating change through grief and mm-hmm. loss and there are two questions that you bring up in the beginning of the book that i feel like they're worth actually bringing our listeners in there and mm-hmm. i and i would love to hear you talk a little bit about that those you know those two questions you know what what do I notice? Is it am I did I get this uh, right? What am happen- I noticing? What happening? What's, what's happening? happening? And then yeah. what stirs? Sort of the and external and the internal. And yeah. the what stirs is a borrowed question. Um, I went to the master's in counseling program at Colorado Christian when Larry Crabb uh-huh. was teaching it, and uh-huh. our final exam for one of his classes was that question: what mm. stirs? Mm. That was the final. Oh wow! And so we had to write about that. Through the through the filter of all that we've been learning and thinking about uh, in yeah. working with people, and I thought it was such a great question. I mean, it yeah. is it yeah. is open ended. It's it's a it's a channel into the in, internal world that we often uh, disregard. The what's happening question is more what's going on in our life, and that can be the superficial things. You know, I'm going to new church. I got a raise at work. My wife's pregnant. I mean, all these different things that that make up a life. Um, mm. or sometimes the what's happening can be dramatic. Right. Um, mm. You know, this is happening in my life right now. My mom just got, just had surgery for cancer. Oh, that mm. would be probably the, at the top of my what's happening yeah. right yeah. now. But that doesn't say very much at all about the what stirs. Um, but they're related though, right? Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. And the what's happening triggers all kinds of internal responses. It, it's a lot easier 
uh, over coffee as you run into people in the hallway to talk about the what's happening. The internet yeah. to talk about the about the what stirs. Yeah. Um, but both, I think both are meaningful and important. Um, what's happening, uh, what's happening mm-hmm. question is not necessarily superficial. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's a chapter in the book that talks about this sacred purpose mm-hmm. that can give a context for the events in our life, the little ones, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the sun comes up, I heard birds tripping, stuff like that, <laughs> to the bigger, the bigger things like losses or major victories, you know, you get a new job and you love it. And those are all mm-hmm. big what's happening things mm-hmm. that get can get set into a larger context if you're thinking about there is a purpose we're on a sacred mm. journey that's the mm-hmm. that's the title of the of that chapter and of course the mm-hmm. what's happening mm-hmm. can be all over the place you know you can have yeah. a good thing happen and feel depressed about it <laughs> but sure you don't not. often talk about uh the what's the what's going on inside the what stirs definitely so that's kind of where the that's kind of where the good stuff is yeah you you talk some about uh your divorce and, and the death of your brother uh, in the book um, kind of talk us about the t- talk us about. I'm good with the words. Um, that's <laughs> words, that, words, that's why it's, words are hard. That's why it's going to take me 20 more years to write a book. Uh, but um, <laughs> what, uh, talk to us a little bit about the, the importance of grief and loss within the spiritual journey um, and, and, and navigating through those dark places. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think they're unavoidable. Mm-hmm. And so this is a part of our life that we are just going to have. We're going to have losses, setbacks, disappointments. Uh, if you live long enough, you're going to have some whoppers, some big ones. You lose your parents. <laughs> yeah. You lose a friend. You know, I lost my yeah. brother in 2004. Yeah. Um, but the fact that they're common and that they're going to be there doesn't necessarily we mean that we enter into those spaces in a way that that kind of nudges us down the road mm-hmm. on the journey. The uh, the psalm that I reference at the beginning of the book is Psalm eighty four five. It talks about going through the valley of Baca. Mm-hmm. That pilgrims go through the valley of Baca, and Baca means their uh, mm-hmm. uh, weeping or sorrow. You know, we go through mm-hmm. the valley of 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 weeping. So it seems like um, it is unavoidable. I mean, you know, for those of us that are Christ followers, he's the man of sorrows. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's acquainted with grief. And so if somehow we try to kind of sidestep it or minimize it or deny it or get through it as quickly as we can and get onto the other side where you can have a nice vacation again. And, you know, I got remarried. So, you know, some could look, someone could look at, at my story and say, well, that was sad, but look at where you are now. Mm-hmm. Um, the bright side is it led to this. And while there may be truth in that, it bypasses the depths that can be produced in our spiritual life through loss totally. and mm-hmm. grief and sorrow. Yeah. And it, it also, makes people go ahead. Paul. Oh, I, I was just, I, I just, just saying it makes people pretty uncomfortable when we mm. include that in our theology. Yeah. Um, you know, we yeah. don't oh, know. Agreed. I know, I know you, you mentioned Richard Rohr a couple of times in your, in your book. And I know that something that he, he talks about is the God who weeps, you know, yeah. that that's yeah. a, even an eternal part of him, uh, that there, but, but it doesn't, it's not reflected in the kind of, uh, corporate worship that we see on Sunday, you know, it's, it's, which is difficult. It's, I don't know if it could be in a place like that. Um, uh, hope and many, and sometimes we can, there are times for real good corporate mourning, uh, corporate anger, corporate, you Mm -hmm. know, that can be 
uh, spaces of, of worship, but often it's really uncomfortable. So giving people permission to, to engage their grief and their doubt as an act of worship, you know, is, is pretty difficult. Do you, have you found that with, with people you've counseled that you, they've really wrestled with that? Well, I mean, there's the kind of the classic stages of grief. The first one, which uh is denial, which, uh, you know, this can't be happening. It's not happening. I'll get through it. I'll minimize it. And eventually it catches up to you and bites you pretty good if you don't get past that. Um, I mean, it's interesting you mentioned that. Is there a place for it? Well, the whole songbook of the Bible, right. Psalms, is just full yeah. of lament and yeah. sorrow and joy and and anger. And uh, yeah. there's, there's a place in Psalms where he the psalmist writes about he's longing to bathe his feet in the blood of his enemies. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's a pretty strong sentiment. <laughs> so, I mean, the, 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 the Psalms are full of that. And and yeah. if you look at, at Jesus, the prophetic verse in Isaiah 53, where it says, says he's acquainted with grief. Yeah. And if we're going to be acquainted with him, um, that is one of the places of deepest connection with Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things that pivoted suffering and sorrow and loss for me um, is typically what we say is, well, I'm suffering or I'm sad or I've had a loss. And we'll say to, to someone in that place, they'll say, well, God is with you. And that's a good sentence. I mean, Emmanuel, God is with us. Mm -hmm. But when we suffer or have loss or are betrayed or whatever, that also uh, Peter talks about uh, we fellowship in the sufferings of Christ. We actually enter into his sufferings. And then it becomes all of a sudden uh, suffering becomes has a privilege aspect. to it. Yeah. And you have to be real careful and saying that to someone they got to be yeah. ready for that or it just comes across as a as yeah. a, a vapid platitude but i think yeah, it's real yeah. you know if we're going to know jesus you're going to know somebody who is so deeply acquainted with sorrows he bears scars on his resurrected body yeah so, I mean, uh, something i i was in um i was in uh new orleans last week i spent a week in new orleans hmm. and uh Oh my gosh, I'm still, I'm going to spend a long time just kind of getting over what I experienced there. Um, But to that point, like, I got to see some music. I got to, you know, I got to see, you know, John Bote in this tiny little club. And when he sings those songs and the people are with him, locals and stuff like that, they share an understanding, Mm -hmm. not just of, you know, Katrina back in 05, but in the, the years of neglect that came after that. And then, um, the, the beauty that I feel like I was always looking a little bit from the outside going, Oh, this, this belongs to them. Mm -hmm. And they share in this. And there was a painter that we saw, we went to a gallery of his and he has this gorgeous painting and the guy has on his shirt baptized when the levees broke. Wow. I was like, wow. Whoa. <laughs> that is, I feel like so many times I'm walking around just like in worship, like reeling in worship the whole time. Yeah. Um, but it's hard. You can't, it's one of those things that you can only say and share with people who may have experienced kind of mm-hmm. suffering or right. hurt like that. Otherwise, it it gets into this place of weak, weak, we're trying to control an experience, trying to protect ourselves from grief yeah. and stuff. Or explain yeah. it in some way that, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. And it, yeah. uh, 
you know, what do you do with the kinds of losses that, you know, like Katrina? Yeah. I've been in New Orleans, and I think uh, three or four of our Uber drivers had been impacted directly by mm. Katrina to the point where they left New Orleans for two, yeah. three, four, mm. ten years before wow, they finally yeah. felt like they had a place to come back to where they could make yeah. a life. Yeah, um, that's you know that's a level of loss most of us uh, won't experience. Right. Yeah, a kind of a loss. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 So. But loss is a fertile ground. For a yielded soul, mm. um, over over, t- over time. I mean, it's not like yeah. you get to the point you go, you yield. Okay, now let's get on with it. It's yeah. not a yeah. project. It's a, no. It's it's Ooh, an that's invitation good. to experiencing God in some different ways. Yeah. So good. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like that's something that just gets missed so much. We don't. Mm-hmm. We're not. We're not people that that handle long processes well you know, especially not in today's culture. Like I want instant answers. I want instant fixes. Like, and, and that's just not, that's just not the way God works. Um, and right. so, uh, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's been my, my story as well. Um, so I, I want to dig in just a little bit more, uh, into that, that loss piece. Um, there was a, a story, uh, from, uh, from Dan Allender, um, Mm-hmm. that that you talk about that that led you to dance on your brother's grave can you <laughs> i did can you kind of yeah. unpack that for us a little bit and and let us know what what that's yeah. about well dan was one of my counseling professors when i went through the master's program uh, along yeah. with larry crab they were kind of the two main ones but dan and the theologian tremper longman are very good friends that's the good oh, friend okay. and they made a commitment to each other years ago as young men i think dan is 70 now um, yeah. They made commitment to each other that whoever died first, the other would go dance on his grave. Mm. Grave, and I thought, well, that's kind of that's kind of melodramatic, isn't it? But <laughs> there, I found myself at my brother's grave a few years ago, and yeah. that came to my mind. And I had uh, I'd driven into the cemetery, and I tell the story in the book, and I couldn't remember where the where the cemetery plot was. I took a wrong turn, and my dad's buried there in the same area. Hmm. And I thought I was running out of time and I thought, well, I'm just going to go. But no, I made it here. So I went to the office. Hmm. They told me exactly where it was. I figured out where I had gone wrong and went out there and did kind of a quick thing and felt the sadness of it, it was not my first time. It's some time had passed, mm-hmm. two or three years. I don't remember. Um, and then I got back in the car and I had this this recollection of Dan talking about dancing on his hmm. friend's grave. And so I got out and. And I remember from my childhood, well, you don't step on where the grave is, right? Oh, yeah. And I thought, well, how can I dance on the grave if I don't step on it? So I kind (laughs) of looked around to see if anybody was watching. And and I danced on my brother's grave um, as a testimony that that our physical death is not the end of the story. That there is is hope in the grief. And and there's that scripture that talks about he turns our mourning into dancing. Yeah. Uh, doesn't say it turns mourning into happiness, but mourning into dancing. So I thought, right. well, Ooh. here we go. Let's yeah. try. Ooh. So, Ooh. I don't know if anybody Ooh. saw me, but I, I did indeed <laughs> do that. That's a pretty funny yeah. story. You guys, you've known me for a long time. I'm a pretty cautious person yeah. by nature. Yeah. You know, I try to keep things under control. I want their dancing on my brother's grave. But <laughs> it was very meaningful because I had other times at the grave where yeah. I was so consumed with grief. It felt like I was vomiting. I was so, yeah. uh, so devastated by it. He was also a musician, so I could hardly turn around for about a year. 
uh, without something happening in my daily work life as a music teacher and as a performer that didn't remind me of my brother. His musical opinion mattered to me more than anybody. And so I was just wrecked by his, by his death at 44. He was 44. So, yeah. But uh, anyway, by the time I got to that day, I was ready for some of that morning to be turned into dance. Yeah. I've yeah. got, uh, we may have, we may have covered this and I'm, I'm blanking on it. So, so let me know if, if we've, sure. if I'm covering old ground here, but you know, throughout all of these, throughout all of these things, like, especially the, like some of these bigger losses and things like mm-hmm. that, you were like, you were teaching, you were leading, you were like, right. you, you were, you were directing a wind ensemble. You were giving lessons. Like you were, mm-hmm. you were doing all these things. Like how, how did those, those losses uh, affect your leadership? And when mm-hmm. did you find that it was appropriate to, to be able to sort of share that with, with the people you were leading, mm-hmm. not necessarily as, you know, a, an excuse or anything like that, but as an opportunity to, to maybe invite them into the process if they, you know, if you felt safe in those spaces, how did that, how did that affect and impact? And, and I don't want to say, how did you use it in your leadership? Cause that sounds manipulative, but how did mm-hmm. it, like, how did it impact the way that you led during that season of your life? Oh boy. It's a long time ago. It was over 20 years ago. We're talking about, so I'm trying to kind of recall you guys both know Alan Schatz. He was the Dean of the school yeah. of music at the time. And my boss, and uh, when the when my divorce happened, um, it would it again it just it pretty much undid me for a period of time. And I went and I talked with them, and I said, "Hey, should I take a leave? I don't know if I can do this right now." Right. And uh, and he was very gracious. He said, "He says I don't want you to take a leave, but if you need to take a day or an afternoon or whatever, just do it." Hmm. And knowing that I had that little bit of space to to take if I needed it, I don't think I ever took it. I don't think I ever didn't show up for a rehearsal or a class or a lesson. My preparation was pretty awful sometimes because I mm. just didn't mm. have either time or energy. So I was mm. I was kind of phoning in some things. But the having the work and having the time with people uh, was helpful to me for the mm. most part because I, mm. I still had purpose. And I was also dealing with four young kids, pretty young kids. Right. And uh, and they really were leaning on me in some uh, some all new ways. Mm-hmm. And so there was a sense of um, I had, you know, maybe maybe a cup full of breadcrumbs to offer. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to still offer those as best as I could in whatever contexts I still found myself in as a dad, as a professor, as a as a musician. And mm-hmm. uh, and I re- that was it was a good thing for me. I, we had a pretty good community here of people peers that supported me that I, I never felt very tempted to rely on my students for support. I, I I had pretty clear in my head. I was there for them. Sure. Not the other way around. Now, sometimes, you know, college students can be remarkably insightful, wise and mature. And I, I had some students really read between the lines and come alongside and give me some pretty precious sentences along the way. But most of that came from, my peers at the college, uh, I did, I was mentored by Larry Crabb during that time. And that mm. was, that was just uh, so valuable. And I had a very good relationship with someone, you both know, Sana McCarthy. Mm. And yeah. she was, mm-hmm. she, I, I had four or five true lifelines that got me through. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, there were times where I felt like, what am I doing here? 
I mean, I'm a mess. Uh-huh. I felt dark. I was struggling with things I hadn't struggled with in the same way before. Yeah. And I just wondered, you know, is, is it time for me to do something else? And it just that just never was the direction anybody encouraged me to go. The people yeah. who, who were really up to speed with how badly I was doing at times mm-hmm. um, were encouraging me to just put one foot <laughs> in front of another. One of my favorite times with Larry, we had these very serious conversations uh, during during these years of trying to he, he loved the great divorce by uh, by C.S. Yeah. Lewis, where it talks about yeah. being solid. He says, Mark, this is an yeah. opportunity for you to become solid in ways that you wouldn't have without the suffering of this time. Wow. But uh, there was one after one of our meetings, he said, whatever you do tonight, be sure it's funny. Go do something that just huh. makes you laugh. So I went to Barnes and Noble I, and I read through far side cartoon books and Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> and I just camped out in that part of the bookstore for about an hour. <laughs> and went home feeling so light that he was able to to zoom me out a little bit from the sorrows that were there right. and be able to yeah. laugh and uh, and be fully alive, not just to my my sorrow. Yeah. So. What great advice. Oh, such great advice. Yeah. Well, because of and humor, it just it really makes you forget yourself. Yeah, you know, you don't. It helps turn off that part of the brain. So uh, well, sometimes we laugh when we cry. Tears run down our face. Oh, yeah. I think they're I think they're yeah. related. I <laughs> do too. Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So. Um <laughs> that's amazing. Um I was just thinking about like what's so beautiful about the conversations we get to have on this show mm-hmm. is that we have other people who are saying you're not alone. Yeah. There's somebody who's had your exact experience. Right. I'm feeling this. I feel this often with other people where right. I'm going like, Hey, how do you do what you do? How do you, how have you done what you've done? <laughs> and then they let us, they, they pull back the curtain a bit and they realize, and they tell us, you know, actually it was one foot in front of the other sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was the one thinking I couldn't take another step. And I was the one who needed somebody to say like, we've got you or we, you, you're not as bad as you think you are and that kind of stuff. If we just make our, make each other feel like we're less alone, we've done something, yes. you know? So mm-hmm. that, thank you. I, that's perfect. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, thanks for sharing all of that. Um, well, you know, when you're struggling and especially if you have any struggles with addictions or depression or anything like that, you can start to feel so dark inside yeah. that uh, it, it's hard to imagine that there's any light coming off of, off of you at all. And I had people who would say to me, so the, the life of Christ just emanates from me. I'm like, mm. what? <laughs> but, but there were people that I knew well enough. It was hard for me to, dis- to dismiss them. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Sana was one of those people for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. Where she was able to see that in me and articulate it in a way that I couldn't dismiss. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that, that really helped. And she knew. She knew the struggles. She was not yeah. being Pollyanna. Sure. With that. No. I mean, she had this amazing way because she went through an incredibly painful divorce. Oh my uh, always lived, you know, and never remarried for the rest of her life and right. stuff. And yeah. so it was very realistic about it and grieved about it, but also had this joy that just mm-hmm. seemed to be unshakable mm-hmm. um, and would be able to throw that kind of joy around and in, in a yeah. really disruptive way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. In a very realistic way. It came from very, very grit. From her yeah, own, definitely. Her own suffering, her own pilgrimage and confusion. Yeah. It's so confusing when you're walking with the Lord or if you're trying to and, and all the wheels come off. Yeah. It's like, yeah. what gives, God? 
Yeah. <laughs> and it, it can be very confusing. And and yeah. uh, and yet for somebody like Sana to to have that that joy there was really, really I, beautiful. I I have to tell you, and this is interesting. It just makes me think about as and wonder what you would say about this. There was a piece of Sana's story that became a bit of a um a point of contention between me and God. Hmm. Um because I was like I might get emotional. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. Um I was like, come on. Look look at this woman. She loves you. She is amazing. And she just wants a companion. Mm-hmm. Couldn't you couldn't you have just done that? Yeah. Like break whatever rule you needed to do and right. couldn't you have just done that? And she she never got it. Nope. And I was pissed. <laughs> I was pretty pissed. Yeah. Um and and I can let it <laughs> you know, get 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 under you you do you think there is a place for that um in in uh worship in our relationship you know where we're just sort of like yeah i don't know what to even say about that yeah. i was just thinking about that i was just like god why and i know i'm just i'm asking one of those big questions that can't be answered but yeah, yeah it was a troubling thing for me yeah i i that that one actually didn't bother me maybe because it's at some level we commiserated over that mm. uh, for, for many years. I was single for uh, 12 years after my divorce. And at that point, right. I thought, I'm never going to get married again. And kind of yeah. gave up. And I wasn't happy about it. I was pretty grumpy about it. But at least Sana and I could get together and say, well, it hasn't <laughs> happened yet. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I certainly have had that with people, with some of my counseling clients. There's one client that I worked with years ago that just had this se- sequence of losses that it's like, Lord, if mm. I have any input in this woman's mm. life, I would say she's had enough. Let the mm. rest of her years be happy. And they just mm. haven't mm. been. She's had just continues to have mm. a pretty health things and relationship things and mm. a move that turned out badly. And I mean, just one thing after that, I was like, cut this person a break. Mm. Yeah. You know, give some of the stuff to the to the people I can't stand. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it just doesn't work that way. I've got a list of those guys who need some help. Yeah, exactly. I got, I've got my own as well. That's oh, yes, uh, you know, there's there's a there's a mystery to it all that uh, that I, I guess we we don't get to we ask the questions. I think that's normal to ask the questions. Yeah. But I do think that these these really hard dark places are opportunities, mm. and I say that I hope without platitude. Mm-hmm. Without mm-hmm. laying that on somebody who's, you know, doesn't need to be told it's an opportunity. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I, I remember uh, when I when I was walking through my divorce. Um, the 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 one thing that made me just want to like throw people out a window <laughs> was the <laughs> like, you know, you're just going to have such a great testimony. At, at the end of all this, uh, like you're going to have such a great story. And I just wanted to throttle that. Like, I don't, I don't want a story at the end of all of it. I want, I want it to be better right now. Like, right, I, want, right. I want, like, I just want some relief, you know, like, yeah. like you guys were saying, like, can't you just like, just take your foot off my neck for like five seconds. Let me breathe, you know? Uh, um, and uh, sometimes that's just not 
that's not the way that it is. And so I, I think that we, as, as people who have, who have walked through the darkness, like I feel like the church needs people like us, you know, to, mm-hmm. to be able to say yeah. like, yes, I know that this sucks and, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to tell you something otherwise. And like, and it might not get better, <laughs> but, Right. There will be people here with you. Like, yeah, that's they're, true. They're, they're, you are not doing this by yourself. Um, yeah. And I think that that's just, that's in my, in my mind and in my heart, that's priceless. And it ha- I mean, I'm looking at, at two other people who, who did that with me as well. And I could also share my own stories about things that Sana said to me during that time. Like, mm-hmm. I, right. you know, so, um, so to, to have, to have a community around you of people who aren't going to, for lack of a better term, they're not going to bullshit you about how hard it is. You know, um, mm-hmm. they're just going to look at you and say, I know, but I'm here. Yeah. So yeah. Um, that's, that's probably one yeah. of the most priceless gifts you can give somebody who's walking through suffering and darkness. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and the art to it, and this is, this is art. I don't have like a, a system for this or even like sure. in my counseling oh, yeah. or, or mentoring work. If somebody's going through a season like this, my hope is at some point I can help them lift their eyes to mm-hmm. a horizon that's ahead that has hope in it. Yeah. But if you go there too soon or too simplistically, you do harm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's actually one of the questions I wanted to to bring up and you bring this up in your book is um, how hope can be a bit dangerous, Mm -hmm. you know, how, uh, you know, and um, I would like you to speak more about that. Like, what do you mean when you're like, how do you get people? Why is hope too soon a problem? Mm -hmm. Well, I don't think it's ever too soon, but it depends how that hope is cast. Uh, Okay. Um, I mean, when I was in, in my most difficult times, uh, and I'm going back right now, I'm thinking about the divorce more than the loss of my brother. Um, uh, although there's some, I want to say something about the loss of my brother as well, but uh, to have somebody point me to something, Larry said to me once, he says, you are not put on this earth to be married uh, to your wife. Hmm. And I said, what do you mean by that? Because it feels oh, like good. I am. And he yeah. says, no, it's got to be bigger than that. Mm. There's got to be something bigger than that because that can go away as you are seeing. Yeah. And yeah. so that was, that was, he kind of, kind of lifted my eyes a little bit in a way that didn't, that didn't make me mad or want to, like you said, Brian, want to throttle them mm-hmm. or don't throw those platitudes at me. You know, I talk right. in the book about a, a, a lesser loss that was still pretty traumatic. We lost our house for eight months. Three years ago, when when our our plumbing failed, we were going, oh, yes. our, our whole yes. house flooded, and that was that was an outpouring. No pun intended. <laughs> that was an outpouring mm-hmm. of platitudes. The sure. silver lining is you'll get a remodel house. Insurance yeah. will pay for it. Won't it be great? And I was I was grieving. That was my home. Yeah, yeah. happened right before school started. The place smelled bad, I and mean, it was it was a mess. You know, not not on the, on the same order as some of these bigger losses like the sure. person and, and losing my brother, but it was it was traumatic. Yeah, and sure. people were so quick to go oh. to the silver lining to uh, you know I I just know God has something better for you. And yeah, 
maybe. What if the house blows up? I don't know. <laughs> but uh, but but that's you know a house is not something to put your hope in. I mean, it's right. stupid to even say it, right? Right. Um, neither is another person, or a marriage, or a relationship, or a career, or even a certain or a church. kind of or, yeah, a church. Yeah. Nice. Or even certain kind of faith walk. I mean, it really. Yeah. Yeah. If somebody, if if we uh, as friends and mentors and peers can help somebody see the horizon that there is something coming. It says that mm-hmm. that hope doesn't does not disappoint. It says in Romans five. It's like, yeah. Really? There's something that doesn't disappoint. Mm. Um, you know, Larry was continually calling me to he says, whatever happens, you have you have your relationship with Christ. You have that that is something that's uh, not conquerable. It's not mm. extinguishable. Mm. Um Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And, you know, even though there were times where it was like, well, I'm not sure I even want you here right now. You're doing such a poor job of running the universe, especially in my life. <laughs> but I think even those kinds of words, that's very yeah. Psalm-like language. Yeah, right. Uh, to Absolutely. talk like that, those are relational words. We're having a fight, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. 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 Tell them to, tell them to yeah. buzz off. Leave me yeah. alone. You're doing a terrible job. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, give me something fun. I'm gonna have a piece of pizza. Leave me alone. Right. <laughs> I'm gonna binge watch on Netflix and leave me alone. And and you know, I, I think for somebody, I talk quite a bit in the book about the new covenant. That the new covenant is like a, it's a new. It's not. It's not like a way of life where you kind of find a guidebook, but it's actually like the life of Christ in us. There's a capacity in us for mm. Jesus to live and. Uh, Underneath all of the confusion and cynicism and anger, there is that still small voice that is literally the presence of Christ by his spirit. And that mm-hmm. is awfully hard to completely extinguish. Mm-hmm. I found it to be. Mm-hmm. I tried. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I read a, a book years ago, uh, Three Philosophies of Life by Peter Kreeft. And, and one of the things oh. that he talks about is Great. suffering. And, and he, you know, talks about the life of Job and, and, uh, you know, talks about, you know, like Job's three friends, you know, come in and they're trying to like basically figure this out. Like they want to, they want to put some certainty around why all these things have happened to Job and, uh, you know, and then Job just like goes off on God, you know, and, and, and the, the point that Creep makes is like, that's. The, the kind of relationship that Job's friends had with God was a, basically like a polite non-marriage, you know, like mm-hmm. they, they were just like, we'll just stay close enough so that, you know, we can say that we have a relationship, but we're never going to actually get into it. Like Job's relationship, the, the kind of relationship that God said, like, Job's my friend. <laughs> I'm going to call them my friend. Their kind of relationship is the one that, that, that stays and throws the dishes. Like I always remember that line. <laughs> Love it. And, and, yeah. you know, that's the kind of thing that, that like, that's, we've talked a lot in, in this season about this, this idea of, of living life with God, like a, a with God mm-hmm. life. And and that's what it is. Sometimes, sometimes it's throwing the dishes and it's, <laughs> it's, you know, swinging your fist in the air and, and, and having it out. But it doesn't mean that, that I love God any less. It doesn't mean that God loves me any less. No, this is just, this is how we need to express this part of our relationship right now. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, anyway. that's good. I like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Throw the dishes. Yeah. So uh, you, you write uh, that the, the gospel opens us up to ministry, not management. 
Um, mystery. Oh, mystery. Sorry, what did I say? Yeah. Mystery? The yeah. gospel opens this optimistic. Um, <laughs> oh, man, that's my problem. <laughs> yeah, that's the, the problem. gospel is open to be optimistic. Oh, no. It's not good news. <laughs> not good news. <laughs> the gospel opens us up to mystery, not management. Can you explain that uh, to, to us and to our listeners? I love that statement, it is. by it's the way. Great, I, well, like, I, I just I want a, you to talk about it. You said that one to me in the email uh, about possible questions tonight. I had to go look it up in the book. It's like, I said that? Did I say that? <laughs> yeah. But, but it's it's a short little thing. There's a the chapter ten is about the gospel as our compass and the journey. Yeah. Um, you know, you can you can um, hyper romanticize the journey. We're just out mm. there. We're in the wind. It's hard. It's confusing. Me and God, all that. Um, but if if the gospel somehow isn't our compass, isn't at the core, our inner compass, mm. that um, that to start with on this journey and throughout the journey and till the day we die, what's most important isn't that we're getting things right, but that we're forgiven and that Christ got it right. Mm-hmm. And so uh, if that's true, I think what I was trying to, to, to get at, well, I'll just read this from the book. It says, as we journey, there are more questions than answers. Again, no manual. While there are certainly principles and wisdom to excavate from scripture to deploy in our lives, much of life is seemingly random. Mm-hmm. The gospel the knowledge of God's unremitting, undeserved love and grace invites us to enter by faith and trust into areas where understanding eludes us and our own ability to somehow manage has collapsed. Mm-hmm. So I think I, I think there's yeah. there's something underneath that because I mean, have we all had that? You had a situation at work or at a friendship or with your kids yeah. or whatever where it's kind of collapsing. It's a mess and there's not yeah. a solution to it. And the gospel calls us back to who we belong to and that we're forgiven and that yeah. we can enter into those, those relationships and those arenas without having answers. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's a mean by mystery versus management. We don't yeah. like that. That's yeah. management's a very American thing. Oh, well, I, we talk a little bit about like the evil, <laughs> that's an evil word in our circle management What's that management? Yeah. management uh it and and it's mostly because uh well i think one of the human conditions is we hate not being in control right, right? we will do uh we will expend enormous amounts of energy to stay in control and so when uh god invites you know, Moses at the burning bush into a name that is literally mystery. Um, mm-hmm. It is uh, to ab- um, abandon gods. It is to abandon um, spaces and objects mm-hmm. of things that we can control and we can kind of grasp and all this stuff into a mystery, into a relationship that will uh, include mostly you being out of control. Yeah. And you needing to surrender. Um, when we just by habit return over and over again and we'll use we'll put a new religious skin on it and call it a new form of fidelity or a new form of being devout, but it's actually just another way of trying to regain control. Mm-hmm. And God constantly is trying to interrupt that and get in the way and say, No, I want it to be a relationship. No, I want it to be like this. And we're like, no, we want it, we would rather do ministry for you, not life with you. Mm-hmm. Um and and so we management as far as we've 
we figured out, we figured out, we've been told in our <laughs> research, it actually has its, its roots in slavery. That's the first, um, first time it's ever been uh, mentioned was in Hammurabi's code. So, um, it's, how do you get people to do something that they don't want to do? Right. <laughs> you right. need a manager, somebody with a whip or something like that. Yeah. Um, so it's very different from leadership, which we, we describe a lot. So, yeah. but anyway, that's me ranting. I don't know. Well, I mean, what's the first thing we do if we encounter a situation where we're confused and don't know what to do? We ask for advice, for advice, not device. We ask for advice. Yeah. Uh, we read books. We listen to podcasts. Right. And none of those things are necessarily inherently bad. But right. there's an energy that supports that sort of frenetic right. looking yes. for answers that that could be maybe better served by just coming before God and saying, I have no idea what to do. Yes. Well, and even going I back feel completely to completely lost. Yeah. 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 And going back yeah. to how how we speak to people who are who are grieving or who are hurting, like a lot of that is just like that's just me trying to manage my own emotions. Like I'm not, I'm not, I don't actually well, I won't say that, but there's a part of us that doesn't actually really care about that person. I just care enough to not like, not get myself too like caught up in it. So like, mm -hmm. how can I manage this situation and manage this relationship so that like, I can get as far away from you as quickly as I can so that I don't get too caught up in this. You know, it's the, it's the whole, like, is there anything I can do for you? Like, just tell me what mm -hmm. I can do for you. And it's like, ah, that's, not always super helpful, you know, like it's again, it's like sometimes the best thing you can give to somebody who's grieving or going through that is just give them your presence. Like, and that's right. That is outside of anything that mm. we can manage. You know, that is mm -hmm. stepping into the mystery of that pain and that hurt and that, that uncertainty with them. So, right. um, yeah. and maybe for a long time, because oh, yeah. you can have a very long shelf life. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think yeah. most people who have experienced profound loss have plenty of stories of, of the, the, uh, the community kind of rallying around them for a period of time. And then sort of one day they wake up and they're still really grieving, but they're alone mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. because it can take a long time to work out. Grief, yeah. grief never yeah. completely goes away. You know, my brother's right. been gone, uh, since 2004, how many years is that? 18 years. And there are still times it comes up uh, with force. That doesn't wreck me like it did in 2004, but but grief has a long life. I mean, I've had to yeah. adjust to life without him, which I was not planning on. Yeah. 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 Ugh. Well, Mark, thank you so yeah. very much for taking this time to talk with us about the book. Please let let's, let our listeners know where can we find your book? Mm -hmm. Where can we follow you and subscribe and all that sort of yeah, stuff? Where can that. people find you? Uh, the easiest place to get the book is Amazon. Uh, okay. It's just life on the road. And my last name Dorn will get you uh, to the link on Amazon. But I also have information about on the website for my counseling practice, which is markdorncounseling.com. And there's a subscribe uh, email subscription thing there. There's a way to, if somebody wants to order a book from me, um, I can sign it and, and ship it to them. It's cheaper for them to just get it on Amazon. But if they like to get it from me, I can do that. Uh, I'm set up to do that on the, on the website. Uh, cool. And I also have a little kind of a blog post uh, on the, on the counseling website where I've done some little shorter writing that if people want to check out some of my other thoughts on different things I've been thinking about that come up in my life or my practice. Um, Excellent. Stuff there too. So, yeah. 
Well, as as a couple of a couple of guys who have you know made a, a life out of you know leading worship in churches and and mm-hmm. and being in ministry for as long as we have, I think your your wisdom and your guidance um, has been a huge part of uh, of getting us to where we are now. So um, mm-hmm. so I want to thank you for not only being on the podcast but for uh, for being in our lives, even if I haven't seen you for years. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, we are, we are deeply indebted to you and, and, and deeply appreciative of, of all the ways that you have supported us and encouraged us for a lot of years. So thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that, Brian. You guys, you guys have been warriors. You've been in the, the trenches of, of being involved in leading worship and being in churches and, and uh, churches are filled with with broken people that uh, that that cause harm, and it it can yep. beat you up pretty good when you're in it vocationally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. for for what you guys are called to do to try to kind of help people navigate some of those traumas, and trauma is not is not hyperbole. Some people are really mm-hmm. traumatized by their yeah. their church mm-hmm. experience, and that becomes a part of their journey with God. Yep. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and a big part of it. I, I touch on that. There are whole books about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, traumatized churchgoers. And I'm reading a book right now by Chuck DeGroote called when narcissism, narcissism no, comes to the yeah. church. Yeah. And I just feel kind of perpetually nauseous. Because <laughs> uh, <yeah>. <laughs> that it's book is so, rough. It's grievous. Oh, it's, yeah. the, what's in that book, but he's, yeah. he's not yeah. making stuff up. It's real. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's kind of all, condensed in one book. So yeah, that's sure. not the not the whole story of the church. Right, but there's right. there's a lot of people who have been beat up by their church. I have in some ways, not yeah. uh, not as dramatically as, as some of the stories yeah. in the book. But yeah. um to navigate a way to continuing to worship and want to be in community with fellow Christ followers when you've had church trauma is 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 a tall order. Yeah. But yeah. If the new covenant is true, we're made for worship. It's the thing that we're yep. made for more than anything to bring ourselves before a transcendent God with others. Um, if that's true, finding our way there is important and yep. a part of the journey. You guys are doing that, so yeah. and you're involved in helping people get there. And I know that's not easy work. Now, thank you, thank you so much. Yeah. All right. Well, well, yeah, so go get you a copy of uh, of Life on the Road. And, um, yes, and, it's amazing. Yeah, thank you, Mark. Great to be here. Thanks, guys. That is yes. Mark Dorn. And um, man, I, I just, I love that man. And yeah. uh, he has meant, I know he's meant so much to, to both of us uh, yeah. over these these many years uh, since we were at CCU together. Yeah. Um, but You know, uh, I found, I found that I actually didn't, I didn't have many classes with him. I don't even oh. know if I had any classes. So huh. he didn't actually become somebody. Uh, well, what? No, what I would have was these crossovers in ensembles. Oh, so yeah. I would be singing in a jazz ensemble, and then the jazz band would do something together. So we would get to work with each other in recording something or performing mm-hmm. something. And that was my own, when I was a student, it wasn't until later and I would come back and do these little, like I would do musicals or I would direct or something like that. Right. And then we'd hit up these conversations and we'd yeah. start to realize, wow, we have this similarity or we see things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always just been inspired by how he continued to grow creatively yeah. and think outside of uh, 
just what I understood is like, oh, you were a music professor. Yep. And he was much bigger than that. He was mm-hmm. much, I mean, with counseling and everything. And then, of course, yeah. the book really demonstrates that in a, in a major way. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, I was in, uh, I did have more kind of close contact with him because I was in wind ensemble and, you know, the jazz ensemble. Um, but he was also, I took conducting um, from him. Um, and, but he was also my advisor for my senior thesis. Oh, okay. uh, and so he was kind of there every, you know, every step of the way, um, to, to kind of help me just think more critically about worship and ministry and, and all that kind of stuff. And so to, to see all of that sort of, you know, kind of boiled down and synthesized in this book, you know, yeah. it's not, it's not necessarily a book about worship. Um, but I think mm. for for worship leaders, this mm-hmm. this should be a must read, um, mm-hmm. simply because especially a lot of the stuff that he talks about in terms of uh, you know sorrow and and uh, kind of sitting in those those difficult moments, um, mm-hmm. those are things that that we don't as worship leaders like you know we always want to like our we feel like our job is to sort of you know we're the we're sort of the the high happy point of the service you know like do the upbeat songs and do the you know make sure that it's it doesn't get too deep or too dark or or anything like that and so a lot of times like that's how we live our lives like we we don't we yeah. don't allow ourselves to sit in sorrow or in lament or or in grief um but that is a necessary part of, of the Christian journey. And it, it makes us, it, not only does it make us, you know, deeper and more complete as people, but it, it also can, can give us a, a richer experience with God in, in our personal worship, but also a richer experience with God in, in our corporate worship. And so, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I don't, don't gloss over those things uh, that that hit you in life um, that become you know really heavy or really dark. Um, yeah. I think that that's that's a it's a necessary, unfortunately necessary part of of our journey um, through this yeah. through this life with God. Yeah, I mean, I dig anyone who is actually talking about something that's inevitable in our spiritual relationships mm. that was sort of like avoided uh, in in other generations or traditionally throughout Christianity, yeah. which is just sort of like, yeah. we don't look at the, we don't look at the dark stuff. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about doubts. We don't talk about anger. We talk, we focus on, you know, I, and there's a lot to be said. We focus on a lot of positivity. We focus on a lot of things that are good and right. we draw our attention to all that stuff. Not a, not a bad way to go through life at the, at the same time, if it's done at the expense of reality, yeah, it's a bad thing. Yeah, you know, um, I think you know, you and I were talking a little bit off mic beforehand that um, we're always a little bit suspicious of anybody who is overly, you know, um, happy, mm, yeah, <laughs> or or overly like, at, especially in their in their spiritual the way they talk about their spiritual relationship. I almost think about it when I when I meet um, young newly marrieds or people in their sort of honeymoon phase or early in the relationship and they're like oh we never fight we seemed like i was like i always want to say yeah well work on that um (laughs) because that that's gonna blow up i mean it's just inevitable this is the way human beings are made they're either going to come in like in in relationships like a relationship with god if you're really honest 
if you're really doing it, yeah, you're you're going to have anger. You're yep. going to have fear. You're going to have sadness. Like yep. if you're if you don't, then you're not truly investing everything right. in you. You're you're afraid to share some peace. Yeah. Um. So and and I think that that's what he's, and I think in in Mark's story, especially with the loss of his brother, mm. like he holds that tension so well, mm-hmm. even in the image of dancing on his grave. Yeah. Um. And that that to me like embodies this. It's yeah. like both the, it, like what Beekner says about having this sort of bright sadness. Mm. It's mm-hmm. this both and thing happening at the same time. Where yeah. if you're kind of in an early stage of of spiritual maturity, you you feel like that might even be blasphemous or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and you get further in, you realize, oh no, there's nuance, there's complexity mm-hmm. to this. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, yeah, I, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll leave that there. I was going to say something, but it's not, it's not relevant. Um, it would just be me trying to talk about cool things that I've read and I don't need to do that. I don't need to prove myself to you, Paul. <laughs> well, it's clear that or, I think I need to prove to, myself all the time. Well, no, uh, you, you say it as out of an overflow of, of knowledge and, and, and experience me. I'm just trying to mask <laughs> deep insecurity. Anyway. Uh, um, <laughs> well, 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 should we go into that? So yeah, let's, uh, <laughs> I'm going to just lean back here and uh, let you be my psychologist for a little bit. Um, no, I, we mentioned we'll, we'll let you know about where you can find uh, Mark's yes. book, uh, Life on the Road. Uh, go to You can just go to Amazon and, uh, and search Mark Dorn, uh, M-A-R-K-D-O-R-N, um, or search Life on the Road, uh, and, and those things will pop up. Uh, you can also uh, reach out to him directly uh, through his website, um, which I wrote down somewhere, and I'm not finding it and not remembering it. Well, we'll um, put it in the show notes. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. So you can you can go to his website. You can actually request a uh, uh, an autographed copy of his book, um, yes. and which he will gladly provide to you. Um, and uh, yeah, um, so so grab a copy of the book. Be encouraged. Um, just know that yeah, even even the dark and sad parts of your journey um, are not uh, they're not final, and they don't have to you know they don't have to necessarily. Um, define you, but it does. You you do need to sit in those spaces uh, with God mm-hmm. and and with others as well. So mm-hmm. um, hope you hope you enjoyed this episode with Mark uh, Paul. What do we need to let people know about that's going on with Torn Curtain and uh, and the Green Room and all that kind of stuff? Just just want to let you know you've heard us talk about this, um, but if if you are looking to grow as a worship leader, it's not going to happen by listening to a podcast, not going to happen by just reading another, another book. Um, change really happens in community. Mm-hmm. And that's what we do with the green room. We are, it's a year long coaching platform in which you are in an intentional community meeting twice a month with other worship leaders, other leaders, and it's a safe space to go through your struggles. It's a safe space to work out and learn practical things that can help you grow healthier in your professional life, family life, emotional life. Um, mm-hmm. we, we go through these four categories of heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mm-hmm. Um, and we break that into different quarters. So if you're interested, you want to learn more about it, go to greenroomleaders.com um, and uh, check out what we've got there. Sign up. 
Um, we've got a meeting, a groups meeting right now, but we'll have more meeting at the in the beginning of the new year. Um, would love to have you as part of mm-hmm. that. And um, mm-hmm. and if you if you love the Chasing Sunday podcast, um, please review us, especially on Apple yes. Podcasts. That really helps. Um, and, and like us and share us with your friends. Um, just those little things. I know it yeah. takes, we're all busy, but just that little bit, those few minutes mm-hmm. that it takes to just write a sentence or two yeah. helps us a huge amount. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, not, we're not, we're not trying to, you know, trick the algorithms or, or anything like that. Um, the goal really is, uh, like we want, we want other people to, to experience, you know, hearing people like Mark and, and yeah. a lot of the other guests that we've had, um, that we've had this season. Um, and uh, it's, it's less about, you know, trying to like make Paul and Brian or the, the chasing Sunday podcast, you know, this huge behemoth or anything like that. It's more about like, we, we just want to encourage worship leaders. We want to encourage, uh, those creatives in the church who, uh, who feel like they're just, they're getting, you know, used up or straight up used, or they're getting worn down and, and burned out from running on this treadmill. So, um, so if you know of a worship leader that that could benefit from that or needs some encouragement, please tell them about the Chasing Sunday podcast. Tell them about Torn Curtain Arts. Um, tell them about the Green Room. This is this is what we're here for. And mm-hmm. um, and so uh, so yeah, um, please please rate and review, subscribe, follow, whatever the terminology is. You know what um, to do. You. You know You've been to, around. You know what to do. The fangle, the um, newfangled internet. That's right. That's right. Those internets. Um, so anyway, thank you so much for listening to the Chasing Sunday podcast. We will be back soon with another episode, and we just thank you so much for listening and and for your support and your love. We'll see you soon. Chasing Sunday is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and distributed by Resonate Media. Your hosts are Brian Davis and Paul Romig-Levitt, with editing and mixing by Danny Burton. Torn Curtain Arts is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and your tax-deductible gifts make our work possible. For more information about TCA and to partner with us in our ongoing work, visit torncurtainarts.org.